welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. We're talking about um, a series on deliverance, but let me read this word and then we'll, get to, we'll talk about it in a second. Ephesians, this is the text I want to focus on. I'll, I'll do a couple more texts as well, but uh, I was reading a devotional to my boys over the dinner, uh, breakfast table and this totally changed how I wanted to approach this topic. So let's start with Ephesians chapter four. It says this, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. We just start, stop right there. That would cause a lot of health in our church. If you were to memorize this before COVID, before the elections or whatever, as we come into election season, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So we're in a series called Deliver Us. And uh, last few weeks, I've been talking about the cultural artifacts that are being revealed, uh, that are at the center of our heart and mindset as a society that are related to this series. And I was, I was sent this, uh, I was thinking about all these series that are popular right now. I'm just gonna go through these that you can see as we talk about the demonic and deliverance. I saw on Amazon Prime, there's a, my best friend's exorcism. Go to the next one. These are all shows. Uh, there it is, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse Madness. The number one sh- uh, movie last year or this year, I don't remember which one. It's about a sorcerer versus a witch. The next one. Uh, Dr. Strange, uh, sorry, Stranger Things number four. I had to crop the photo because it was too terrifying. Go to the next one. <laughs> this is a new cartoon. It's called Little Demon. And it's, uh, the premise is about that girl is uh, the daughter of Satan. So the next one, uh, this is a series called Evil. Next one, um, Life After Death with Tyler Henry. This is a series where a man, uh, this kid, or this, I don't know how old he is, he talks to dead people. It's basically the living example of that movie, Sixth Sense. So that's, uh, but he helps. It's a, it's a show, it's, uh, this guy has a wait list, I heard, where it's years, years. People wait for years to get an appointment where they pay thousands of dollars to meet this guy who will talk to deceased relatives. Go to the next one. Um, and this is a picture that Alex Absalom sent me yesterday from Barnes & Noble. This is the, the walking in. I just want to highlight some of these. He saw all of these uh, books. And, uh, there's a, a moon magic kit. There's a Zen rock stacking. There's tarot cards, pendulums, moon magic, crystals, um, chakra, uh, all these different things. As you walk in to Barnes & Noble, there's witchcraft and sorcery. So this isn't some like series of ideas. This is the reality we're swimming in. This is the cultural current of the moment. The culture is obsessed with things that are unseen. And the point of this series is to educate the church, disciples of Jesus, to be prepared for the battle that's waging around us. So we talked about having a spiritual warfare worldview. We talked about the ministry of Jesus you could, you could break down the ministry of Jesus to three things, proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing the sick, and casting out demons. We're talking about the, what Jesus actually did. This is what the, the gospel summarize the ministry of Jesus as proclaiming the kingdom, healing the sick, and casting out Jesus. When the apostle John, casting out demons, what did I say? I'm just gonna sit, thank you. Thank you so much for that one. Let me sit here for a second. We're not casting out Jesus. 
That's what Hollywood's trying to do. What we're, and schools and everything else. But anyways, no, um, we're casting out demons. Last week, uh, I talked about demonization. And I talked about the story of the demonized man, uh, the legion who was, who was set free by Jesus. But I also, as I was talking about the, uh, the, the subject of demonization, I was talking about ways we open ourselves up to the, to the dark world, uh, the kingdom of darkness, to Satan. And um, today I want to show you how as disciples, there's actually three battlefronts that we have to engage in. I'm going to focus on two, but there's three battlefronts every disciple's fighting at the same time. So uh, this is why I prayed in the beginning that you would have revelation for this. But I want to start with this text because Paul, I I find it fascinating that Paul brings this into um, the idea, two areas that, uh, uh, two battlefronts that we fight in this one passage in Ephesians. Then I will get to Galatians in a moment. But in In Galatians, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, anger is a natural human emotion. And one of the problems with the church is we've talked about anger being sin. Anger in itself is not sin. Is anger a sin? No, good job. You answered correctly. (laughs) Just put that in your mind. There's a PowerPoint to help you. That's right, no. (laughs) Anger helps you as a human, identify when a boundary's been crossed. Someone stole something from you. Let's just say you were trying to go to church last week and you got robbed, per se. That could have happened. And you're upset about the injustice. Yes, that's an appropriate anger. Somebody says something rude to you in that tone that really gets under your skin. And they're eight, you know, and... (laughs) You can be upset. It's what you do. It's that, it's what you do with the anger. And the problem in our culture today is we're living in a rage machine. Everything is designed to get you angry and keep you in the state of psychological anger. And it keeps you in a place of offense. So anger is not the problem. Anger is a good thing. It can help you identify there was a boundary cross, something, you came over the line and I need to fix this problem. We got to work out a solution. We need to have honest conversation right now about what took place because I'm a powerful person and you're a powerful person and what you did hurt. Now let's process this together. Anger is not sin. It's what you do with anger that leads to sin. I want to go even further and say what you do with your thoughts and emotions either lead to life or death. Life in the spirit or death and darkness. And I'm going to use that word very liberally today in a a very intentional way because I need you to see the connection. It's not just sin that's an issue. That is an issue. Jesus died for it, among other things. But there's another issue with the anger producing sin. And this is going to be for Garden Church. Some of you are going to be like, oh my gosh, he's going deep on this stuff. Yes, I am. So buckle up. And if some of you have to leave early, I'm not going to be offended. All right? You're just, we won't cast out your demons today. Um, just kidding. So check this out. 
Sin is a real issue. Look at what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. He says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. There's no easy way to say that. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the, listen to this. The reason the Son of God appeared, this is John, the gospel writer of John, was to destroy the devil's works. We've already talked about this. What is he referring to? He's referring to um, sin. He's referring to the chaos that was introduced to God's shalom in the Garden of Eden. He's talking about evil. He's talking about death, the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy those things, to usher in what God originally intended in the Garden of Eden. Jesus comes, but he makes this point that... uh, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. James chapter one, verse 14. I'm just gonna make a quick point about this. It says this in verse 14. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to what? Death. All right, can we just pause for a moment? It's a big deal. What is sin? Sin is this word that is overly used and it's lost its meaning. And so many Christians today are afraid to talk about it because they don't want to offend people. But I need to talk about it because of the implications for where we're going to go in this series. But I just think, first of all, sin in its traditional wording is, is, a, is a word used by, for archery. And it's, it means to miss the mark. If you're aiming for the, the, the target, you miss the mark. Um, but there's lots of other definitions. And I, one, um, one scholar says sin is the vandalization of shalom. So if you're missing the mark, well, what's the mark? What's the aim? What's the bullseye? The bullseye is what we were as humans created for. It's what God designed us for. Human perfection, that's one. But perfection, not in the Greek sense. Perfection in the the Hebrew sense, which is wholeness. You are designed to live in perfect relationship with God, with yourself, with everyone else, and with all of creation. So shalom is this idea that humans were designed to live in proper relationship with God, ourselves, with each other, and all of creation. That was the bullseye. And if you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you see that we, uh, Adam and Eve, chose to live outside of God's design and intention. And his design and intention allows us to choose. And in our choice, we wanted to go our own way. And because we went our own way, Shalom was vandalized. Sin enters into the story. Death enters into the story. Evil enters into the story. Now evil has reign over and dominion and rule over creation, what we were designed to have in partnership with God. So that's the bullseye. So sin is anything outside of that human, uh, that perfection God intended in the Garden of Eden. Are you guys okay with that? But let me give you a couple more definitions that are helpful as I was reading and studying. Here's one definition from Baker Encyclopedia. Sin is evil doing seen in a religious perspective, not only against humanity, society, others, or oneself, but against God. And this one I loved. 
it's, it's this. I want you to listen to this text or this definition. It's from the ISB um, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. It says, sin is to be defined primarily in relation to God. It is disobedience, unbelief, ignorance, the positive assertion of usurped autonomy and the wicked deviation from or violation of God's righteous will and law. The breach of a right relationship with God carries with it the disruption of a right relationship with others and the disintegration of the self. But this derivative for it, uh, but this is a derivative, excuse me, this is derivative, for it is because of sin against God that there is sin against others and oneself. So sin needs to be understood from a perspective of relational connection. When we act outside of a relational connection with God, we experience disintegration of ourselves, of our souls. You are acting out of your false self. Our, our world, our culture loves to talk about the true self, your truest you. The truest you is found in relationship to God. And when you act outside of that, you all sorts of problems come into play. <clears throat> and so we understand that in our anger, we do not sin. Now notice, Paul takes this idea of something you're personally experiencing in yourself and says, don't, don't allow those emotions and feelings and thoughts to disconnect you in a relationship with someone else in a way that leads to sin, which is what? A disconnect with God. Are you guys okay with this? So this isn't you, yourself, and Jesus living out your discipleship. In fact, what I want to argue, which I will in a moment, is that all of this stuff requires relationship to make sense of it. So he's saying, don't disconnect your relationship with God, your others, or yourself by how you behave in response to your thoughts and your emotions. Sure, count to 10, you know, take a deep breath, do some meditation practices when you're angry. But the point is, whatever happens in that moment, don't allow that to continue to bring disconnect. And then he says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. What you do with your emotions and your thoughts matter. They lead to something. They lead not just to disobedience and disconnection, not just to a disintegration of self, but it becomes a doorway to torment. It becomes a doorway. You give access to the devil. Well, Darren, how does that happen? I'm not freaking playing with Ouija boards. I, that was an edited version. I'm not playing with Ouija boards. We're talking about spiritual warfare. What do you mean my anger expressed in the wrong way, opens myself to darkness or the devil. Well, I want to show you what happens because when we talk about, well, but let me, before I show you what happens, let me talk about this. Um, we've, we've been doing this series and I don't know if we've defined who the devil is. So let me give you a couple of phrases from the Old and New Testament. So this is a list of the devil. When we refer to the devil, a kingdom of darkness, we're talking about Satan, that's, or the Satan, uh, the accuser, the adversary of God, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver. In the Revelation, he's the great dragon who deceives the whole world. He's the ancient serpent who leads the whole world astray in Genesis. Um, he is a cosmic being working against the will of God. 
Um, I, I would say he is an evil entity working, according to Peter, to kill, steal, and destroy. So this, when we, when we talk about evil and the kingdom of darkness, we talk about the devil and his demons and the cohort of angels working against the will of God. This is what we're refer- referring to. He's also known as the father of lies. There's lists of demons and names of demons, but I'm not going to go into that. So that's what we're opening ourselves up to when we don't process or use our anger in the right way. Isn't that interesting? Is anyone scared right now? No? Maybe it was just me reading this text this week to my boys going, wow, this is interesting. And then it says, uh, you'll give the devil a foothold. So unprocessed anger, anger that leads to sin, gives the devil, that list, a foothold. Now, a foothold is a place where you can lodge a foot to give secure support while climbing. That seems obvious. Yes, I get it. You're climbing rocks, you put a foot. But then there's a military term. I love this idea. A secure position from which further progress can be made. How does this work out? Well, when you choose to not let go of your anger, when you choose to not forgive someone or to process it in a way that honors Jesus, it leads you on in a cycle. And I want to show you this cycle because this, I believe over the, the division we've seen in the church over the last two years is a result of this. Will we put that up? You experience hurt, pain, a boundary that's been crossed, and it leads to anger, which is appropriate. But in your lack of discipleship to Jesus, you allow that anger to cultivate. It goes unprocessed. Or you process it in a way like going to your friend who's just going to talk the same stuff back to you and then you're going to get more heated. You know who those friends are. You choose those friends to disclose that information because you want the furnace to grow, the heat to get more. You're on Boxer. You're voice memoing each other back and forth. You won't believe what my husband did to me this week. Oh, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. Again, yes. It's like that one time and that other time. Yeah, he's always, he never. You're offended. Appropriately so. And then that offense that holds on to, yeah, you hold on, leads to bitterness. And then that bitterness, we should have made this a cycle. The bitterness leads to resentment. And when you're bitter and resentful, you begin to form a worldview and uh, you look through a lens where you're looking for that stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like all of a sudden you're, you're filled with bitterness and anger and resentment. And now the conversations that you're having, you're, you're rude you're quick, you're talking to other people and they're giving you a collection of injustice against that person. Now you've got a list and it's not even yours. It's hearsay, it's others. So now you've got this whole thing, right? And then you begin to see that person through that lens. And now you're not moving towards connection, which is what we do in the kingdom of God. You're now building disconnect, You're fueling. And then what you've done because you've allowed bitterness to grow and resentment to grow, which are tools of the devil, he's given you lies about you should always 
they always do this. They, they, they speak lies and they, they bring, the demons will bring thoughts to your mind that you don't take captive, you allow it to grow. And now, now there's a giant wall between you and your spouse. And now you're trapped from resentment to unforgiveness. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 18, Jesus tells a story about the unmerciful servant. That, that this one servant has all this money in debt to the king and he, he goes to the king, I can't pay you. And the king forgives him. And then that servant goes out and he finds someone that owes him like $50 versus $500,000. And he locks up the guy that owes him money because he won't forgive him. And then the king finds out that the guy he forgave doesn't forgive this guy. And then the king locks him up to be tortured. You see, this is a parable of unforgiveness. God forgives us, therefore we forgive others. But if you hold on to unforgiveness, you open the door to torment. This is the ecosystem of evil that begins with you not processing your thoughts and emotions in a way that honors Jesus or his kingdom. That's why Paul says, don't let the devil get a foothold. Don't let him grab territory so that he can build, uh, uh, all of his supply line comes here and he's gonna go to the next thing. He's gonna take you out. And this is what happens in the church. This is what happens in marriages. This is what happens with roommates. Roommates, you got your list for your roommate night to talk through. I'm still holding on to the fact that in 2005, one of my roommates ate half of my Chipotle burrito. It was in my section, which had my name, and it said Darren on the bag. You deliberately ate my half burrito. The power of unforgiveness. Nobody struggles with this. There's three battlefronts we face. Number one is Satan. We talked about this, that there are cosmic beings, evil forces opposing God's will. And it's as big as nations and kings and presidents and, and poverty and systemic and structural injustice. It's as big as, uh, it's as small as demons uh, oppressing and speaking lies into you. Uh, there, it's all of that. So there is demonic activity. We already know this. The second, the battlefront we face is what the New Testament will call the world. The world. Now, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. But when Paul or John or Jesus refers to the world, he's talking about, um, let me read this definition. He's talking about the corrupted corporate structures and systems, philosophies and cultures, group mindset that are set up against the kingdom of God. The world is the normalized lies and way of destruction we all live in. So we watch Netflix, and we watch some great shows, but there's shows like Little Demon and Stranger Things and Disney shows. There's, and we're like, oh, that's the battle we got to fight. Forget Disney. And I'm like, okay, I understand that. But it's, it's that, and it's so much bigger. It's philosophies that are influencing the most vulnerable and innocent people in our society that come from somewhere else. And that somewhere else might be systems that are intended for good, but that have been corrupted. 
This is why Paul says in Ephesians 5, it's not flesh and blood, it's powers and principalities. He uses this language, that's this thing out there. And so when we enter into the world, we aren't of the world anymore. John chapter 17, Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that, they, but, but that you protect them from the evil one. Look, as Christians, we're not supposed to hide from the world. We're supposed to engage in the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. But our lives need to be different. And I'm, I'm not meaning like, oh, different because we, we don't do soccer on Sunday. We go to church. We don't listen to rap music. You're gonna, if you don't, you're not going to like the end of this sermon in a second. Um, we, don't, we don't define it by those things. It's, no, it's how we handle our finances. Early church, I love what one pagan uh, Roman, I think it was a Roman reflection on the church, said, they don't give their bodies to anyone, but they give their money to everyone. We should do that today. <laughs> we live generously. We live with modesty. We're concerned about our sexuality and our identity and our marriages. We honor marriage here. We, we live in a way that reflects God into the world. Wow. Tell me that's counting down. Yes, it's counting down. Oh, praise the Lord. I was like, I thought, it, I thought the timer was counting up. No, it is counting up. No, uh, no. <laughs> Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So I like to think of the world as the operating system that's been hijacked by sin and evil. It's not the hardware that's the problem. It's the, hard, the, hard, uh, the software that's been hijacked. And Jesus' kingdom is bringing about a new uh, operating system, a new OS that will transform the way the world is supposed to exist in the first place. The third battlefront is the flesh. And I, I don't have a lot of time. But here's what I want to say. Paul gives us instructions on how to battle the flesh. We battle Satan, we resist Satan. We resist the world and we resist the flesh. And I want to, this is what I want to focus on. Verse one of chapter five in Galatians. Paul says, listen for the, I love this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I think there needs to be a little more amens on this. Let's pull out some, <laughs> if we were at like the Rams game later, we're gonna be like, ah, oh, God, yeah! Watching our favorite football team, Lakers, whatever it is clearly naming my preferences right now. Um, you know, sports teams like the Angels, Lakers, the Rams, uh, the Mets. Yeah. Nobody cares. If I said that in New York, I would have been stoned. Um, except for the diehard fans. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery. Skip to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Could have said this 2020, 2021, 2022. This one text. I already used the other one, but look at this. Um, actually, let me keep reading and then we'll go back. Verse 16, it says, So I say, 
walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit was contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Listen to this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says we live in freedom, not as slaves anymore. That what Jesus did is he set us free. And he's challenging a perspective in Galatians, which people want to take their freedom and do two things. Live in the law again. They were going, they're called Judaizers. They were going back to live the Torah out. And what I want to say is that's hard to translate, but I do want to say this. Think of it as a Pharisaic culture that your goodness in the kingdom is dependent upon your ability to perform, right? I'm going to go one step further. I want you to stay with me. I love spiritual formation. We teach spiritual formation, but I'm seeing the rise of spiritual formation as a new form of law. Just, just hear this. People are going to take this out of context. I don't care. I need you to hear this. Formation without the power of the Holy Spirit is a Pharisaic movement. Yes, you need spiritual disciplines. Yes, you need to fast. You need to pray. You need to do Sabbath. The point of Sabbath isn't a day off that you don't work. The point of Sabbath is to live from rest. To enjoy God. And delight in creation and delight in relationship. It's not the legalistic approach to a day off. That's a Pharisee movement. And what's happening is it's spiritual formation is becoming sexy in the church again. And it's void of the power of God. Paul doesn't say, how do you get rid of the flesh? He doesn't say, well, here's five steps, uh, rules that he says, walk in the spirit. I'll talk about that in a second. So one, one movement is to go towards the law again. The other movement is he says, don't indulge in the flesh. What happens in those of us that experience the freedom of Jesus is we go towards this other route where you're like, you start blurring the lines. I talked about this last week where people are, are engaged to be married and they're telling me that, hey, God's outside of time. We can have premarital sex because we're technically married in the future. I'm like, that's BS, what? <laughs> How creative are you in fulfilling the desires of the flesh? Well, what is flesh? Listen, flesh is in conflict with the spirit. Oh, let me just say one more thing about freedom real quick, because this is deeply political. On both camps, there's an emphasis of freedom. And it's fascinating to study both sides. And I'm not going to argue against the sides, but I am going to say when Paul talks about freedom here, he's saying, look, the only biblical freedom we can fight for is where you're, is not personal autonomous liberties. Biblical freedom is, is designed for loving one another. Now, supporting a system that you think best 
uh, affirms that is important. I think that is important to have a political perspective. All of your values will be shaped in politics, whether you know this or not. But the question is, will you allow the kingdom to shape your values and the way you interact despite your politics? But what I want you to know is freedom without meaning leads to debauchery and indulgence. But Paul says your freedom is for the sake of. It's not freedom for you to enjoy all the things. No, it's freedom for the sake of love. So this is an important ethical approach to freedom in general. We will regularly lay down our freedoms for the sake of the gospel. This is why Paul will say, I am a Jew to the Jews, a Gentile to the Gentiles. He's, he, he becomes all things to all people for the sake of winning some. This is his idea. He knows there's no food, there's no idol, there's no power in an idol. Meat sacrificed to idol, Jesus is the one true king. I can eat meat sacrificed to idols. Some people don't have that understanding. If they don't have that understanding, you, you submit your freedom for the sake of your weaker brother. You guys good? Whoo! Flesh. Flesh is translated in Greek to mean the physical body, but Paul doesn't use it that way. Paul rarely uses it that way unless he's quoting the Old Testament where it says two become one flesh. The flesh he's referring to is disordered desires. It's the natural desires of things like food and drink and sleep and sex and pleasure and self-preservation that has been taken over or taken control of and bent towards evil. So the flesh he's referring to is our selfish, sinful way, our rebellious way of sin. Eugene Peterson says, the flesh is the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. So it's our primal animalistic drives of self-gratification, especially pertaining to sensuality as sex and food and pleasure in general. And these instincts of survival and domination are taken over and they get out of control. And in Jesus, we're called to submit those things, to lay them down, to let them be second and third and fourth in our life to living as a disciple of Jesus. So we deny ourself and follow Jesus. That is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So you don't use your freedom for the selfish, sinful, rebellious way, which will also lead to slavery, by the way. You use your freedom to live by the spirit, which leads to life. All right, I'm gonna move forward. I have a couple other thoughts about the autonomous self, but let's skip that. Verse 19, it says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And it lists them out. And these things, I want you to see, they're all in context to group settings. So he's, sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of a covenantal marriage relationship between a man and a woman. So he's challenging a cultural practice of sexual morality, impurity. That word impure is uncleanliness. It has to do with making yourself unclean, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. And then there's like this list, sublist, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. And the, the idea in, in Greek is there's, the, this is what happens. Think of like a soccer team who just lost and they're all, on the, they're angry at the other team. And now there's like this group 
outrage that goes to fighting the other team. This is all about, we got to beat these guys up. Acts of flesh look like this. And those things, those people who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, that is in contrast to the fruit of the spirit. And then there's one fruit of the spirit. It's, It's not plural, it's one. The fruit of the spirit... It's not like you get one. You get all these things as you live in line with the Holy Spirit in direct relationship to God. And notice again, none of these fruits can be lived out by yourself. You don't need patience if you're not in relationship to anyone. You don't do anything. You live on a mountain by yourself. You don't need, you you don't, it's not required. If you have a toddler, absolutely. You develop these In battle. See, one of the things I think we do with the fruit of the Spirit, and it's terrible, is we take it out of context. We make it a Hallmark card. And we play, like, it, like I'm going to read this. I want you to think of this, this song real quick. Um, like the Christian, che- Christian worship song. I'm not going to say cheesy, but let's just call it Christian cheesy worship song. I want to read this. <laughs> listen, to, listen, this is how we most of us perceive the fruit of the Spirit. Let's listen to this. Would you put that? So, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no life. When you think of the fruit of the Spirit, most of us think of it like this. It's like, yeah, a cheesy Christian song. Pause that real quick. I don't want you to think of the fruit of the Spirit like that. All right, I want, next time you read this, I want you to think of it like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I want you to feel this song bubbling up. You're running up that hill. All right, you can stop. But the point is, this, this is this is a battle. Fruit of the Spirit are characteristics forged in warfare. This is not what you're going to get sitting on a mountaintop with the lilies and doves. This is going to happen when that person that you're close to offends you. When your wife betrayed you. When your kids don't listen over and over and they're headed down that path and you're doing everything inside of you to be the spirit-filled Jesus follower that you can be. But what comes out most of the time is your father, who you hate, by the way, and all of his anger comes funneling through you, and now you got generational sins and curses going to the next generation. The fruit of the spirit, Paul says, is, is warfare attributes formed in a life that is fighting three battles. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. You can't create loss to make fruit happen. You see this? Like He's like, man, you're, you're creating this new law to make you patient. Like there's no law for gentleness for self-control, which last week I talked about is a superpower or a strength to give to your kids or your spouse. 
It's what fathers need more than anything else. This is what we're battling. We're battling a world where our own desires need to be brought into, need to be wrestled with. And Paul says, this is how you wrestle. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Your inappropriate anger that you went off on on Friday when things didn't happen the way you wanted, that's been crucified with Jesus, right? That lust that happened last night, crucified with Jesus. The way you crossed that line with that girl, crucified with Jesus. The thing that you did before you were Christian, all of those things, crucified with Jesus. Now you have been formed in a world with an evil power and presence and these natural desires that are distorted to act a certain way. And just because you think, oh, well, that's my biological way of acting out, that doesn't mean it's the right way. Jesus wants you to bring those things into alignment. Paul actually says, live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step. It's not five ways to, to figure this flesh thing out. It's no, immerse yourself in the presence of God. It's, you're like, well, Darren, how do I live by the Spirit? Well, there's, there's five points for living by the Spirit. No, it's like, it's like asking me, Darren, how do I live as a good father? Or how do I live as a good husband? I could say, oh, read a book about it. Lots of books. Pray that God would make you one. Um, You know, as a father, uh, get rid of selfish ways or any sense of like autonomy because that's going to go out the window immediately. (laughs) I would, I'll give you a list. Like be aware of your father wounds and they will come out whether you like it or not towards your kids or your wife. Deal with your impatience, anger, and emotional reactions. Be present when they're around you. Get rid of your phone and be attentive to their requests, no matter how crazy they are. Say yes as often as you can. Teach them about life. Encourage them to do hard things. Help them when they struggle. Instruct them with life skills. Play with them a lot. Wrestle with them. Give them good gifts. Remember events and moments. Ask follow-up questions. Show them how to forgive when you make a mistake. Model with your life. Be creative in your love. Forgive. Follow through. Think about them uniquely when you're not around them. Ask the Lord to show you their insight and their destiny. Ask them to hang out with you. Enjoy hanging out with them. Sacrifice to enjoy. There's a million things, but what is that? It's all in relationship. You're never going to read that or hear that because I gave you 10 points to figure it out. It's going to happen when you actually show up and you're interacting with your kid. Same with your spouse. Be a good wife. Well, let me give you the Bible's instructions. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. We'll skip the rest of the text, which talks about the husbands dying to themselves. That's a little inconvenient for most of us. We don't like death here. We're not going to talk about that. Wives, it's your problem. I don't know where that voice came from. Get behind me. Get out. Let me tell you something. When I got married to Alex... We had a lot of conflict. <laughs> Not a lot has changed about that, by the way, but we're doing conflict better now. But what I kept asking her for was the list. Like, tell me what you need. How do I be a good husband? And I remember meeting with Pastor Bill for breakfast one day. God bless Bill. Thank you, Bill. Keeping me married. He's like, hey, Darren, if you're going to require a list to be a good husband, you're going to fail. I'm going to tell you that right now. 
what am I saying? The Spirit of God is available for you. And Paul says, there's three battles going on. Your anger is going to lead to the devil. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? A foothold? I don't want that. The world is trying to corrupt you. And inside of you, there's desires that are distorted that will lead to disintegration of self. What am I going to do? Paul just says, hey, live by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step, which a better way to describe it is to line up. Line up. Like the Spirit is not just our life for salvation. The Spirit is now our guide in everyday, ordinary life. So abide is a word you can use. Abide in the presence of God. Make, get comfortable in God's presence. Be at home. And the problem is we're so busy. We're so practical as Americans. You just want the three steps for devotions rather than saying, hey, when you wake up, bring your affections to Jesus. Enter into his presence and let him overwhelm you with the ocean of his love. And then in that ocean of love, as you're refilled with his presence, now live making breakfast for your kids with the Holy Spirit. Drive with, I'm not saying be cheesy. I'm saying be a presence permeated with the presence of God. So how do you walk in step? It's gonna require you learning to listen, learning to have a relationship, learning to serve and pay attention to obey the words that are whispered in your heart to confess to Jesus the sin that's come into your life this week. I, I don't know how to close this other than to say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then tomorrow morning, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask God, God to show you that in those moments, how to align with what he's doing in that moment. He knows how to manage that conflict better than you. He knows how to parent your kids better than you. He knows how to handle your spouse's conflict and words that offend you better than you. He knows how to do your job better than you. He knows how to drive better than you. I believe that. He knows how to deal with your anger. Could you imagine Jesus watching the temple being used to steal from the most poor outside people, the Gentiles, he's in the court of Gentiles and they're robbing the Gentiles of worship. They have scales and they're, 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 they're making them use, transfer their money into temple court money and it doesn't add up. And Jesus is fuming with righteous anger. And he turns the, t- and he's like, all right, this is a moment where anger is gonna be expressed appropriately. How many other times did he have it? That's the only one we hear about. All to say, I believe Jesus wants to train you in your anger. He wants to train you in your workplace. He wants to train you in your your relationships. He wants to train you in every area of your life. And you have to be aware that there's a battle being waged. And you need to be aware of it, resist the devil, resist the world, and resist the flesh. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.